0: We have a project in this church called Teddy Bears for Jesus. And that's one of the main reasons we have this beautiful Christmas tree and all of these gorgeous, cuddly little teddy bears. The teddy bears are going to go to little children who are suffering with cancer. Many of these little children are dying of cancer. This Christmas, we're going to put a teddy bear in their arms to let them know that Jesus loves them. Also, the teddy bears are going to go to people who are sort of forgotten. Some folks in retirement homes who don't get lots of visitors. And this year, our young people and our church folks are going to go to those homes and give them a teddy bear in the name of Jesus so they will know that God loves them and they're never forgotten. The person who's been in charge of this has been my wife, Beverly, and I'd like to introduce her today to you. Mm -hmm.
1: Happy Sabbath everyone. Karen Kingsbury tells the story of a little girl named Jessica Warner who lived in Cottonwood, Arizona. Jessica was five years old with curly blonde hair Blue eyes and a beautiful smile that brightened up everyone's day. Her favourite toy was a doll named Molly, who though ragged and tattered with use, was still much loved. Yes, Jessica was a beautiful child, but she was also very different. This precious little girl could neither walk nor run because she was born with cerebral palsy. From the time the parents heard the sad news, neither handled their daughter's illness well. Cindy, the mother, thought she could fix it through hours of exercise and stretching routines. While that helped, it would never cure the problem. Steve, the father, said, she'll grow out of it, just wait and see. And so they remained. Cindy trying to fix it and Steve in denial of it. Worst of all, in the midst of their miserable lives, their love for God and for each other grew cold. After Jessica's second birthday, her grandparents took her to church every weekend. Thank God for Christian grandparents. Now Jessica was five and barely able to crawl across the floor. The situation between her parents had grown worse and they barely communicated with each other. Sadly, with her sensitive little nature, Jessica could tell that there wasn't much love left between her mother and father. It was only a few weeks to Christmas, and so Jessica began to pray every night that the only gift she wanted that year was for her mummy and daddy to love each other once more. Two weeks before Christmas, Steve and Cindy decided to call it quits and to get a divorce but they would wait until after Christmas for Jessica's sake. That night, Jessica asked her parents to come to church to hear the preacher tell the story of the baby Jesus. The parents looked at each other with embarrassment but told her, yes, they would go with her. The message was full of hope and joy And in their private prisons of pain, Steve and Cindy realized realized the mistake of walking away from their faith. The preacher went on. God gave the greatest gift of all. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. But what about you? What will you give to the Savior this year? There was silence in the sanctuary. I urge you, the pastor added quietly, to take time these next few days and lay something at the Saviour's feet, something you love for someone less fortunate or something you need to leave behind, something you should have given over to God a long time ago. On their way home, Jessica said, did you hear him, Mummy and Daddy? He said, love is the greatest gift of all and that's what I'm praying for you both this year, a whole lot of love. The next morning the parents discovered that little Jessica had somehow crawled down the stairs before they awoke and had placed her beloved doll Molly at the feet of Jesus in the nativity scene on the living room floor. They both felt so ashamed as they realized that it was their pride and selfishness that had driven their love for each other and for God out of their lives. Inwardly they had both blamed God for not giving them a perfect daughter. As they stood staring at the ragged old doll that Jessica had so lovingly placed at the Saviour's feet, they suddenly knew, though she wasn't physically perfect, her love and her heart was perfect towards God. Steve and Cindy fell to their knees and asked God to forgive them for their unbelief and asked him to help heal their marriage so that they could be the family that Jessica had prayed for. Yes, Jessica understood in her childlike way the meaning of the coming of the Saviour. Jessica understood in her childlike way that Jesus came to mend broken marriages, broken families and broken lives. He came to heal a broken world and to reconcile it back to God. And Jesus said, If you want to inherit my kingdom, you need to love, to have faith and trust like a little child. May God bless you this season with his love, his joy and his peace.
2: the same.
0: Today, I want to talk to you about the greatest miracle of all. You all know the Bible story that Moses was a mighty prince in the land of Egypt. In fact, there's good evidence that he could have, if he had wanted to, become the Pharaoh. He could have been the Pharaoh of the greatest empire that the world has ever seen. Moses was brought up in a society of power, riches and glory and lots and lots and lots of gods. It was because he refused to worship the gods of Egypt. For this very reason he was unable to become the pharaoh of the land of Egypt. Moses would have seen the real thing. These are just replicas and very inadequate replicas of the glory of old Egypt. Moses knew the gods. The Bible tells us on one occasion after Moses had fled the land of Egypt, And after 40 years had gone by and he had been reduced from being a mighty prince, a potential pharaoh, to a shepherd, the Bible says that Moses was looking after his father-in-law's sheep. And as he was traveling through the area of Mount Sinai where he was looking after his father's sheep, he saw A miracle, but it wasn't the greatest miracle. He saw a miracle. He saw a bush on fire, but the bush was not burning. Moses said to himself, I will turn aside and see this amazing sight. And as he turned aside and looked at the bush that was blazing but not consumed, a voice said to him, Moses. Moses, take off the shoes from off your feet. For The place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, who are you? And the God said to him, I've seen the oppression of my people. And I've come down to deliver them. Now I want you to go to Pharaoh. And tell my people tell pharaoh let my people go you'll find the story in the book of exodus exodus chapter 3. i would like you please to take your bibles to exodus chapter 3 and verses 1 and onwards my dear friends it's called exodus because of course it describes the great exodus Exodus chapter 3, what a tremendous story this is. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses, and of course the word Moses is an Egyptian name, as you all know. It means born of. Also a Hebrew word that means drawn out. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord. The word here is Yahweh. YHWH, the Tetragrammaton. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. These gods had their names. There were the gods of life and there were the gods of death. There was the solar disk that was the great God who traveled across the heavens there Had thousands of gods, crocodile gods, all types of gods. But now Moses was meeting the God above all, every, all gods. The God above all of the gods of Egypt. And this God had a special name. It is translated in our Bible by the term Lord. And it somewhat loses its meaning. It is translated by the term Lord because the Hebrews held this name in such dread and in such respect. One could almost say in such fear that they would not take the name Yahweh up on their lips. And this tradition is followed in our Bible where it is not translated as the Hebrew says, Yahweh, but it is translated by the term Lord, or in some places by the word Jehovah, both inadequate translations, but showing respect for the name. And who is this God who is called I Am? The word Yahweh apparently comes from the word or the words I am. It means the God who is completely self-sufficient and the God who has no beginning and the God who has no end. The gods of Egypt were puny, puny, small little gods. But this is the God who has no beginning, no ending. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. He said, my name is Yahweh. We call him today the Lord. Who is this God? I want you to think about this experience that Moses had that you and I might have a similar experience. He is the God of creation. C.S. Lewis wrote a book many years ago entitled your god is too small. This is true with many, many Christians. They have a very inadequate concept of the vastness of creation. No adequate idea. Did you know that you can travel across the universe? In fact, if you travel back to when the universe was new, you travel for 14 billion years at the speed of light. This is a scientific fact. With the great Hubble telescope, they can look back in time now, billions and billions and billions of years. This is not the universe that we gaze at night by night. We see less than one billionth of a billionth of the universe. Out there, there are trillions and trillions of blazing suns, Stars, constellations, universes. This God was the God who made the universe. Think of the words of C.S. Lewis. Your God is too small. This God not only made matter, but he made time. And he made space. You see, there is no space. And there is no time until there is creation, a vast God. He is the God of Abraham. He is the God of miracles. You know the story of the miraculous conception. He was the God of the miracle of the birth of Isaac. He was the God of Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses was soon to discover that this great God, Yahweh, We say his name with great respect and awe. This great God was soon to show himself in the land of Egypt as the God who works marvelous miracles for the salvation of his people. But today we're not going to talk about those miracles. We're not going to dwell at length upon the miracle of the ten plagues. And the opening up of the dead of the of the red sea which became for many people the dead sea we're not going to talk about that we're not going to talk about the giving of the ten commandments in great fire upon mount sinai i'm going to talk about those things but he is the one the true the only god And I want you never, never, never to forget his name and think his name is simply the Lord. Because we hear the word the Lord mentioned over and over again in the land of the United States of America and around the world and usually mentioned very lightly and sometimes with blasphemy. But this is the God before whom Moses trembled. When I was in Israel, I went to see a man copying the scriptures as the Jews have been copying the scriptures. God bless them for thousands of years. Just as they copied the Dead Sea Scrolls, I went and saw a scribe working. And when he came to the Tetragrammaton, that's the four letters of the name of God, Y-H-W-H, written back to front, yeah. Way, I said to him, "Ah, I see there that you're copying the name for the great God Yahweh," and the Jewish scribe was overcome, became speechless because of my lack of sensitivity. He said you have said the name you've said the name we never say the name the new testament you do not read the name you read "Kyrios," the lord theos god but the name is so great because it points to the one who existed before time he existed before time yes existed but there was never a time when there was no yes time, he made time therefore he existed before time before time and space and the universe he had a name and his name was I am that I am the word the tetragrammaton means the four letters of the holy name Dr. Burt here who is a Jewish brother in Christ and a member of our church has studied Hebrew he knows what I'm talking about today and he knows about the name. This word is used 6,823 times in the Old Testament. It means to be. And the coming years and the centuries would reveal to the people of Israel more fully the power and the wonder of that name. Would you come to Deuteronomy 10 and verse 17? Deuteronomy chapter 10 and uh, verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and uh, verse 17. My dear friends, and especially my dear friends who are watching the telecast around the world. Deuteronomy 10:17, for the Lord. You notice how the word Lord is in large letters? That's the tetragrammaton. That's the word Yahweh. For the Lord your God. The word God is Elohim. And the word for the gods of Egypt is a similar word. This person here is an L. He is the L. It means God. But the great God of the Bible is Elohim. And it points to the Trinity God. For the Lord your God is God of gods and lord of lords the great god mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes he is the great god and then as you start to read through the sacred pages of the holy scriptures i'm referring specifically now to the writings of the Old Testament, you will find where the name is held in great reverence and great praise. Would you come to the book of Isaiah that I might give you a few examples. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah delights in the name of the eternal self-existent one. Isaiah chapter 14 verse 25 and 26. The Bible says, God says to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each one of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Would you come now? over the pages and we shall notice some other tributes to the name. Would you come to Isaiah 43 and verse 10 and 11. Isaiah 43 and verses 10 and 11 as we read this in the holy book. You are my witnesses declares the Lord that you have the word the Lord Yahweh. Yahweh Elohim. You are my witnesses declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. I am he. Before me no God was formed nor will there be one after me. I even I am the Lord. And apart from me there is no savior. There, he is not in competition. Come over Isaiah 50, 45. 45 verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me. He says to Cyrus. Verse 12. It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. Now if you would come also to chapter 46 of Isaiah and verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10. We are a Bible reading church. We bring our Bibles to church. Because we believe that we are introduced to God through the reading of scripture. Isaiah 46 and verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I want you to listen carefully. Words cannot describe this God. The Bible cannot adequately describe this God because he is beyond our comprehension. We know much about him. We may know him, but we cannot understand him. We cannot understand or have any adequate concept of his glory, his power, his understanding, his majesty. The universe is filled with angelic beings called in scripture the messengers and the Bible tells us that the messengers fall down and they worship him. His power Is beyond our human understanding. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible tells us in the day when a certain king died, Isaiah swore the Lord, Yahweh. See, we miss out on so much of the meaning. And I can understand why this has happened. It is out of respect. I shiver today, When I turn on television and I have people who will even come to me and I hear them say, oh my God. They are foolish blasphemers. About to stand at the judgment bar of God and they say it in the movies, they say it everywhere. Oh my God. It is only the mercy of God that they are not consumed for their blasphemy. I can understand why the pious Jewish scholars would not take upon their lips the name of the self-existent one. And how the translations came to reflect that holy awe and respect, and we have now in our Bibles the term, the Lord. But did you know, back in Egypt, these were called the Lord. They were lords. They were gods. But today I would remind you my my beloved friends. We are not talking about gods and lords. We are talking about. I am. I am
1: that I am.
0: This is my name in the Hebrew. Y H W. H: When the angels hear the word, they fall down and they worship. And here was Isaiah and the king had died, and he saw the Lord, Yahweh, high and lifted up. The Bible says he was surrounded by the cherubim, the angels standing in his presence, kneeling in his presence. The Bible says his train filled the temple. Then the whole place became filled with smoke. Isaiah says that the doorposts of the temple moved. And He cried out and said, Woe unto me, I am undone because mine eyes have seen the Lord. Holy and blessed is his name. His name is above all names. So that is the first drama I present to you today. It is the miracle of meeting God. Not meeting an angel, but actually meeting God and seeing God manifested in a burning bush. And hearing the words spoken, I guess none of us could ever comprehend what Moses heard. As a shepherd, he heard the words undoubtedly spoken to him in Hebrew. I am that I am. I will be what I will be I am is sending you to Pharaoh I am And now we come to another scene we pass from the drama of Moses at the burning bush and we come to a young carpenter he is a preacher and he is in confrontation with the relatives of Moses. These were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And you can read the story in John chapter 8 and verse 48. John chapter 8 and verse 48 it is music to the ears of God to hear the pages of the Bible being turned. John 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And verse 54. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. <laughs> You're not yet 50 years old. The Jew said to him, and you have seen Abraham, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. The Bible says that even though they were hypocrites, they knew what he was talking about because the next verse says, they immediately picked up stones to kill him. He'd said the word. Before Abraham was, he didn't say I was. God is not in time, my friends. God is not in time. Time is in God. To God, all things are the same. A billion years ago, a billion years in the future, it's no difference to him. And he said to them, before Abraham was, I am the very word that says Yahweh. And uh, in the same chapter, I won't bother turning to the text right now, but he said to the Jews, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In most translations it says, and perhaps it is correct, it says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But the Greek says something a little different. It says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus said the most remarkable statement. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And the New Testament writers see in Jesus more than a man and more than a carpenter, they see in him the I am. Do you remember the story of Doubting Thomas? Do you remember the story He said, unless I shall see with my eyes, unless I shall feel with my hands, I will not believe. I will not believe. Like so many of us, we will not believe unless we actually see it. The Bible says a week later, Jesus came into their midst unexpected and said, Peace be unto you. And Then he turned to Thomas and he said, Thomas, look at my hands and look at my feet and thrust your hand into my side and be not doubting but believing. And Thomas, unrebuked by the Lord, fell at his feet and said, My Lord and my God, My Lord and my God, Jesus accepted worship and claimed the most astonishing claim. Do not patronize Jesus. Do not say, as many people say in America, Oh, he he was a great man, but he certainly wasn't God. That's the most ridiculous conclusion. If he was not God, he was not a great man, he was a madman. People who say, I'm Napoleon, I'm Alexander, are locked away. What do we say about people who say, I am God? We sedate them. They're, mad. they're crazy, they're mad. Jesus to be Yahweh Elohim, the creator of the universe. That's why the Jews hated him. So don't be superficial and politically correct and patronize him as Gandhi did, who said he was a great man, but God of course not. If he was not God, if he was not whom he claimed to be, he was either a bad man or a madman. And it is amazing that a bad man or a madman could have done so many wonderful things for the human race. Amen. The best thing that the world has ever seen coming from a madman or a bad man. No, no, no. Don't patronize him. Be honest with yourself and be honest with him. Thomas called him, my Lord and my God. I want you to notice the testimony of biblical writers, particularly now the New Testament. Come with me to John chapter one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, the first chapter, and verse one, verse, uh, here it goes. In the beginning was the word, the Logos, and the Logos was with God, And the Logos was God. He was God. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Why did the world not recognize him? For the same reason today that we shy away from meetings where truths are presented that we do not want to hear because of our sins. The world did not recognize him because he came as a light in darkness and darkness hates the light and so it is with us on many occasions. We prefer to live in the dark than to know the light because we say if I come to that meeting and discover these truths I will be duty bound to change and so we cling to our darkness and in so doing we reject Christ. Because you can reject him in a thousand different ways. The light was shining in the darkness and the darkness did not want it. And then the verse goes on to say the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Now the Greek language is quite explicit. It says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God there is no the it doesn't say the word was the God it says the word was God and in that Greek grammatical construction it means that the word had the same essence as God he was absolutely divine what the father was he was People say, I do not believe the Trinity because I cannot understand it. What nonsense. To say that you will not believe until you understand. What do you understand? I ask you, who understands E equals MC squared? How many of us here? None of us. Do I understand it? I can hardly write it. Who understands eternity, the concept of a God who has no beginning? No ending? Yes, I can understand no ending, but no beginning. And God existed before the creation of the universe eons ago. What was he doing? What was he doing before the angels? I do not understand many things, but it is a very he is or she is A very foolish person who will not believe until he fully understands. So we are told in scripture that he is almighty God. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, listen to this. In the book of Hebrews, the father turns to the son and says, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth And that is a quotation from Psalm 102. And in Psalm 102, the one who lays the foundations of the earth is Yahweh, Elohim. The tetragrammaton is used. The word is Yahweh. And so this passage is taken out of the Old Testament and dropped in Hebrews chapter 1. And the father turns to Jesus and says, and you Yahweh. The Father calls him the self-existent one. And we are told in scripture to worship and bow down before none but almighty God. That is why we do not bow down before images. In our church when we pray, in our formalized prayer, we always kneel because it is a sign of respect. Muslims can teach Christians much about respect. They always kneel when they talk about Allah. But you and I, who've come to know the truth, know that the day is coming when every person is going to kneel before Jesus, including Muhammad. Would you please come over here to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Book of Philippians, chapter 2. I want you to notice this wonderful passage in the Bible, Philippians 2. Verse 6, it says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, The day is going to come when every person in all creation is going to bow down. Muhammad is going to bow down. All the popes are going to bow and the kings and the presidents including our brother George. (laughs) Queen Elizabeth is going to take off her crown and throw it at his feet. Napoleon is going to bow down and so is Herod and Pilate and Caiaphas and Hitler will bow down and Stalin and Lenin and that demon Pol Pot. Churchill will bow down, the man of the century. They're all going to bow down. Saddam Hussein is going to bow down. And uh, Osama bin Laden is going to bow down. The good, the bad, and the ugly, they're all going to bow down. You're going to bow down. The Christian world is going to bow down. The Muslim world is going to bow down. The Jewish world is going to bow down. Everybody's going to bow down. Now, As the English divines were wont to say, Dearly beloved, here endeth the first lesson. Now we come to the greatest of miracles, the drama of the greatest miracle. Come to Luke chapter 2 and verses 4 to 7. Luke chapter 2 and verses 4 to 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I urge you to read your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, 4 to 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a, a child. While they were there the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As a boy I worked on a farm. When I was going through college. I drove the milk cart. Had to Get the big old horse whose name was Thunder in his rig and all that stuff at four in the morning. I know the smells of, of horses and the smells of cows and I've had plenty of manure all over me. I've been through them and there's worse stuff. Like hypocrisy. I've spent a lot of times in the Middle East, sort of in my blood now. I love the poor little donkeys. I know the sheep and the cows, the goats and the camels and the horses. I know what it's like in the Middle East. I can smell it, I can see it. God came down and was born Among the animals. Because you and I wouldn't take him into our hearts. God is totally unpretentious. How empty is the heart that seeks things? If the goal and the motivation of your life is things, it is because you are no disciple of Christ. You may be a member of this church, but you are a profligate sinner. Lost, doomed, and damned. People say it is a materialistic society, we're all like it. That must mean then that we're all lost. He whose great aim in life is anything less than God is not a child of God. When God came down, he came and was born in a barn. It sort of tells us how unlike God most of us are. We have no idea. Why was he there? I told you the sermon is entitled The Greatest of All Miracles. Here it is God in a Barn. He became a real human being to experience our joys, our sorrows, our hopes, our fears, to eat our bread and to drink our water and to get nails in his hands. He came to show us what god is like the religious people had painted such an ugly painting of god and he came to redo the painting to teach that god is gentle as a lamb with the weak as he was with the woman caught in adultery warm as a mother with the children fierce as a lion With the religious pretenders. Courageous as an African bull elephant. And I have been charged by one. With the powerful and the corrupt. Regal as a king with his tormentors. Forgiving as a lover. With the erring Peter pure as the snow that covers Siberia with the rude and the beverted. The most important reason he came was to to give his life as a ransom for many and to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, my beloved friends, some time back, a year, some years back, I read to you a statement from this book by one of the greatest scholars of our times the great Anglican theologian Dr. Stott I want to read it to you again he says I could never believe in God if it were not for the cross and then he goes on and tells a story The playlet entitled The Long Silence. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Men shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal it. Tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a Negro boy lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn. Lynched for no crime but being black. Black. Another crowd of pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer? She murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain there were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in the world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where all was sweetness and light. Where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? For God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he'd suffered the most, a Jew, a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, a horribly deformed arthritic, a thalilomite child. In the center of the plain, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so different, so difficult that even his family will think him out of his mind when he tries to do it. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury, and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At the last, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die. Let him die so that there can be no doubt that he died. Let there be a great host to witness his death. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, large murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. When the last had finished pronouncing sentence, There was a long silence, no one uttered another word, no one moved, for suddenly all knew that God had already served his sentence. That's the message of Christmas. Adam, you look lovely today with a blue suit And a red tie, and a blue shirt, and nice boots. See my boots? The boots, too? Ah, my assistant pastor. Yes, Adam. Put it up close if you want to say anything to me.
2: Pastor Carter, on behalf of our church, I have a Christmas gift for you, and it's free.
0: Oh, Adam, thank you. Now, Adam, on behalf of Jesus, I have a gift for you. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What is the message of Christmas? A gift for you, Jesus. And when you accept that gift, you have everlasting life.